Okie doke. All right. So, we are in our last week of the Burning Bible Questions. So, the Sunday morning barbecue. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I love doing that Q&A type stuff because there's just different questions that you guys might have or different conversations that you might have with people throughout the week or over the course of last year that you may not be able to answer. And we can talk about them here in class and open up the Bible and see what it says. So next Sunday, the plan is I would like to do a message on more of a camp prep. Um, I know Bobby did that this past Wednesday and just some different things to be thinking about heading into camp. And um, he's probably gonna do something similar this Wednesday as well. And so I'd like to do a final message on that sun- next Sunday of just some things to keep in mind uh, related to our topic, our theme, just where we're at as a ministry. So it'll be a good Sunday to come back and just be ready for camp. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and get some of these questions. So what do you got? I don't have any questions at the moment. We've answered them all so far. So what are some Bible questions or maybe some questions that somebody has asked you that you were maybe unsure about the answer or maybe something that you've always wondered about that you've never gotten an answer or you've been curious? What do you got? It can be as dumb or as good. You're, are you confident, Kent, because you're, really you're doing like the wave? Like, is, really question. is it a stupid question? Stupid question? It was I mean, I'll let you know if it is. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, totally dumb. <laughs> I won't do that. Okay, go ahead. All right. This person uh, asked, "How can people believe that Adam and Eve were the first man and woman if God said that He created man and woman in one twenty-six and twenty-seven, but then He doesn't actually form Adam until two six? Okay. Okay. All right. I wouldn't say that's dumb. I would say that's relatively easy to answer. Um, now, go ahead and turn to Genesis. And uh, Kent, I want you to take the first stab at answering this one. So he designed the He actually created them later. Okay. 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 Any other thoughts on that? So that was Kent's answer is that he had designed them, had it in his heart and his mind, but then he actually then created them in chapter two. Any other thoughts? How would you answer that question? So the question is, in case you need it repeated, is that how can we know that Adam and Eve are the first man and woman if it says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and 28, he gives them their mission uh, after designing them, that it says that he created a man and woman there, but then in chapter 2 is when Adam is actually created. So how can we know that Adam and Eve were the first man and the first woman based on that? How would you answer that? No. Can you just say like, Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's basically in chapter one, he's just like giving the overview of what, how creation happened, and then chapter two, he's like, okay, now I'm going to get more details on this exact part. Yeah. Yep. Yep, that's good. Any other thoughts on that one? Or add to it? Yeah. Okay. So I would go that direction. Because really, whenever you read everything out, you have the entire overview of day after day after day and it works through and it says the first day the fifth day you know sixth day seventh day and then like in chapter two it says thus in the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them and on the seventh day god ended his work which he had made and rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made and god blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which god created and made and if you notice in my bible i don't know if it has in your bible you have a paragraph marker right there And so it's kind of the end of that thought, boom, done, and now you have a new thought here. 
And then he begins to explain, these are the generations of the heaven and earth when they were created in the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens. And then he starts, every plant of the field before it was in the earth, every herb of the field before it grew. And the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. And there went up a mist from the earth, verse 6, and watered the whole face of the ground. And then verse 7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. So this is the creation of man. So when you look at chapter 2 as just an overview, God finished and he gave you kind of the overview of the six days of creation and they rest on the seventh day. And then chapter 2 then gives you the details of specifically how he created man. Because he says in verse 26 of chapter 1, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. And then verse 27, so God created man. Well, how did he make them? In chapter 2, verse 7, he tells you exactly how he made them. He took the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. So God literally took the dust from the ground and used that to create the body and all the organs and everything. And then he took the man and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and then he became a living soul. And that's how it's different from the rest of creation. Because you don't see God doing that with anything else. Like he didn't take cows, specifically take a pile of dust dirt and create the body of the cow and then breathe into it and it became a living soul and that's what sets apart human beings from any other creature because this what god did in verse 7 of chapter 2 this is why they became in god's image because he made them a living soul nothing else has that soul and so even though it's difficult like even when i have my conversations with my kids like our dog sammy when sammy dies is he gonna go to heaven and i go nope I don't say it like that, of course. <laughs> I'm, I'd be trying to be super gentle, and I'm like, no, he did. He just be dead. No. <laughs> so he does not have a soul. Now, if you were to go through the Bible and you were to actually search this out, you would find that in heaven currently, like in the third heaven right now, there are no animals. The only place that you see animals exist where God is is when he reestablishes his kingdom upon the earth. And then that's where you find the passages in Isaiah where it says that the lion shall lay down with the lamb and a child shall play on the hole of a, of a snake and is not going to get bit, all that stuff. But when it comes to heaven, the only thing in heaven right now outside of God, his throne, the angels are human beings. That's it. The souls of men. That's it. And so that's the part of us that will live forever. And this is why even today, just to make a very practical example of this or a practical uh, how this would work out, this is why abortion is such a huge issue. It's such a huge issue because they are not just a group or a lump of cells. It is a living soul. And that's why we believe that life is so important. And so this is not, this is not an issue of culture. This is not an issue of, of preference. This is a biblical issue. It is a living soul. It is completely different, completely different in comparison to animals. But if you don't believe in God and you believe that we came from animals, well, then there's no problem with abortion. You see? And that's really what happens. So when we believe the Bible, we believe that. And God calls out man very specifically, and he creates him. So uh, we know that that's the way it all worked out uh, because of just the way that it's written. And God does this all the time. One of the things about the Bible is it's not exactly linear. So if you were to go through your Bible, like even if you read through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, God did not have those books written in a linear fashion. The only Gospel book that's actually in a more of a linear fashion is Luke. 
That's it. So if you read the book of Luke, you can actually get an order of events about how they transpired from Jesus' birth all the way to his death and resurrection. But if you start pulling stuff from Matthew, Mark, and John, it's not in order. It's compiled to completely different. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible is actually written in circles and because it's written from an Asian mindset. Because if you were to just study this stuff out, you find out that people that are from Asia and places like that, they think very circularly. They just do. Um, Jews are very similar to that. And so the way that they understand things is that they get a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit there and a little bit there, a little bit there, 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 there. And then finally it paints this big picture. But we, as Gentiles, we are not that way. We want things orderly. One, two, three, four, then I will believe. And that's just not how it works. And that's what the Bible says anyway. It says that uh, the Jews, uh, that they want a miracle. They want to see a miracle. But the Greeks, the Gentiles, we seek after wisdom. We want things to make sense. But there are some times where God doesn't make sense. And so then you have to then question, okay, well, then do I actually just believe him anyway because he's God? So that's the struggle that we have sometimes as Gentiles. All right. Content? Good with that? Yeah. Hmm? Give a shrug of the shoulders. It was. It's okay. That's okay. It's all right. It happens. But now you know. Andy. So when my devil doll dies... <laughs> yes? <laughs> is... Is he talking about Jasmine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For you? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. What are you trying to say? Maybe God, maybe God will make an exception for you, Andy. Maybe your devil dog Jasmine will be in your mansion, awaiting for you. <laughs> ah, shoot. Yeah, Randy. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So, does God love the devil? Does God love Lucifer? All right. So, how would you answer that question? <laughs> Trevor, you want to take a stab at it? <laughs> All right, we had Noah. Let's, Noah answered the last one. Let's see if we can get somebody else to do it, and then I can come back to Noah. Does God love the devil? Let's think about it a little bit. Who has it? That's okay. Go for it. Single human. I mean, yeah. he created us, so even though we sin, he still loves us. He doesn't want us to sin and do bad things, but and so he has to craft us and he has to set things right, even though he doesn't want to. He doesn't mm-hmm. trust God. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's good. Megan. I want to argue with her. Just because, you know, <laughs> just in case someone doesn't do it. Um. So it's his creations. There's the one side where 
Lucifer is part of his creation, but then at the other side, that he's not made in his image. You get, you got a little bit of input, Noah. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember where the verse is at, but it's when God, like, he's already done the final judgment for devil and his followers, and so basically, there's no going back for them. It's something about where it's in my Psalms. It's somewhere. It's it's somewhere in the Bible. It's somewhere in the Bible. He's already like judged them, and so they have no chance to get. Quote unquote yeah, go ahead. So, when we go, so, in, okay, so when we go to, or when the rapture happens, every, everything ends, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody goes up to heaven, God's going to judge everybody according to the book of life. And when you're not there, God says he never knew you. So it could be the same way with the devil, because the devil's not saved. He never, he doesn't have a relationship with him, so he wouldn't. Okay, okay, okay. All right, so I feel like we got a mixed bag on this one. So even though, even though Lucifer is not made in the image of God, does God still care? Does God still love him? And we've got a little bit mixed, like that there's no forgiveness, you know, because they're not made in God's image. Um, there's actually a passage, and I, I'd have to go back to the, the psalm and try to find that one, but I, I, I was finding another passage in the meantime, um, that there is a possibility that God did give the angels a chance to repent, and those that didn't then just continued, you know, with their fallen state. It's in Psalms, and that's the one that Noah was thinking about. Um, but it's like this. For example, like, when you, come to, when you come to the judgment of humanity, where does that take place? The judge, judgment seat. The great white throne. Okay, so there's two different. There's the great white throne judgment, and there's the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is for believers, born-again believers, Christians, people that are part of the church. When it comes to the great white throne judgment, that is for everyone else. So that includes, that includes, by the way, that includes all lost people throughout human history and the Jews and people prior to the Jews, like even Adam and Eve and those people, they're going to stand before the great white throne judgment because there is a book of life. And if your name is not found written in that book of life, it says the last verse of that chapter, chapter 20, verse 15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, after that judgment is over, there's no going back. So it could be very similar to how it was prior to where there could have been a moment in the rebellion of Lucifer with the angelic host that followed him that God gave them an opportunity to repent. And then they said no, or some may have. I don't know. I don't know how all that worked out. There's a passage that seems to appear that God gave them a space to repent. And if I can try to find it, I'll try to find it. But I wanted to show you guys this for a second. Go to Ezekiel 31. Ezekiel 31. Ezekiel 31. This past year, when I was finishing my reading through the Bible, which I've restarted again, I hit this chapter, and I believe it was this one, because I put a note in my margin so that way I could try to remember this. Um, that helped me with this particular topic. 
and let me set the stage here really, really quick. Okay, so we've gone through this before. I've illustrated this before, but that way you can kind of get an idea of how this worked out. All right, so when it comes to Lucifer, there's two chapters in your Bible that talk about Lucifer um, more clearly than any other. What two chapters are they? Isaiah 14. Ezekiel, no. Ezekiel? 20? No. 28. 28. Okay, so Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. Those are the two chapters in your Bible that speak more about Lucifer, who he was, his fall, his, his role before he fell, uh, God's judgment upon him, um, the pride of his heart, and how he wanted to ascend up to the position of God and be, be like God himself. So those two chapters, more than any other chapters in your Bible, give you the greatest detail about Lucifer and how he fell and became the devil and Satan as we know it throughout the rest of the scriptures. Okay, so just as a huge, giant summary, all right? Back in the day, you had the throne of God, and I'm just going to put this as God's throne just because I don't want to put effort into drawing. Okay, and so this is God's throne, all right? And then you had this thing that was called the mountain of God, okay? So you got the mountain of God, and it's also called the north, and I'm just going to do it like this just to show a picture of the mountain, all right? Wow. So anytime in the Bible, I know, it's fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> anytime in the Bible that you see any reference to the north, the north, that is always talking about where God's throne is, and so that's why if you were to go outside and you were to take a time-lapse camera and point it towards the North Star, you would find that the entire universe and the how, even how the Earth is, is spinning within the universe, that it all focals on that one star, that one star, and that is called the North. And I believe firmly with all my heart, because if you study this out, I mean, it's, it's scientifically just astounding, that the position of the Earth within the Milky Way actually gives us a clear view into the entirety of the universe. You could have actually, if the, if the planet of Earth would have been anywhere else within our Milky Way galaxy, you would not be able to see anything out in the universe. You would only be able to see the clusters of stars around you and, and it would be clouding everything else in the universe. God positioned the Earth where he wanted it to be on purpose. And he created, and I believe this, he created everything around the Earth on purpose so that way when we look out into our North, because God created the magnetic poles, he created all that stuff, that it directs our attention to that one star, the North Star. That is not a coincidence in my opinion. And so I firmly believe that if you were to be able to take a rocket and you had enough fuel and enough sustenance and you were to be able to go that distance that you could actually get to the sea of glass and where God's throne is because I believe it's a literal place. So I believe that if you were to do that, you could just go and you could be right there. And I could show you different passages, and I, we just don't have time to look at all that this morning. But before the fall, when Lucifer was around, he is called, and I, in Ezekiel 28, he is the anointed cherub that covereth. He covered the throne of God. His body was made up of these precious jewels and musical instruments. And his job, because in 1 John uh, chapter 1, it talks about God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So when the presence of God is upon his throne and he is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then you have this being in front of the throne of God and his body is made up of all these precious jewels then it's going to accentuate the glory of God throughout everyone's eyesight, right? So that was part of his role. That was part of his job to lead music, but he was called the anointed cherub. So that means outside of God himself, 
He was in charge of all of God's creation. And that's why Isaiah 14 talks about that he had a throne and he had dominion. And so everything that God had created, very similar to the Genesis 1:26, where God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over. And then he lists all the stuff of creation. So after Lucifer fell, there was no longer an anointed individual and an anointed cherub to have a throne and dominion over God's creation. So after he fell, and at this point in time, um, I believe this, that we could look at other passages, I believe that the earth was very, very close in proximity to uh, the third heaven. And because in the Bible it talks about that, um, that heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. God says that all over the place in the scriptures. So I believe before the fall that the earth was in very close proximity to the throne of God. And then after Lucifer fell and God pronounced judgment upon the entire and the entirety of creation at that point in time, that this separation just became vast because of sin and because of what God had designed. So all that to say, after Lucifer fell, then you have this special creation that God makes. And you have Adam and you have Eve. And God said, let them have dominion. So similar to how Lucifer was a king over God's creation as the anointed cherub, you have Adam who is also a king over the newly recreated heaven and earth, right? And then who tries to trip him up? The devil, Lucifer, Satan. Because if he can trip up Adam, he can take back what was his, right? And that's why in the Bible, Satan is called the God of this world. Because when he led Adam and Eve into sin, he took back that dominion that he lost through him falling. Now, Jesus is also referred to, one of his titles is referred to as the, anyone know? The last Adam. Because when he came to die on the cross for all of our sins and all of humanity and everything, he obtained the keys of hell and death. So he took back from the devil what the devil took from Adam. And one day he's going to take everything back when he comes back in flaming fire to take vengeance upon them that know not God and that obey not the gospel. And that takes place in Revelation 19. So if you were to look at the entire Bible, here's where it is. Here's God. He wanted to create something and he created the angels and he created Lucifer to be in charge of all the, all the creation. I think there's other animals and things that were created during that time. Lucifer fell into sin, and God had to pronounce judgment on that entire world. So then God's like, all right, I'm going to remake everything. You got Adam, Eve, I'm going to give them dominion, and I'm going to give them the, the right to rule and to be king over all of my creation. And all of a sudden, that whole thing gets completely messed up. And so then God's like, all right, fine, I'm going to come. And when I come, I am going to set things right, and I will be that anointed, which is also another term for the Messiah. It means literally anointed. So now, instead of Lucifer, instead of Adam, now it's Jesus. And that's why Jesus had to become, had to come in the flesh. And when he died for our sins, it was more than just dying for our eternity. It was because he needed to take his rightful place as the Messiah, as the anointed one to glorify God for all eternity. And the only person that could do that would be God himself. So does all that make sense? That's like, I mean, blowing past so many details. All right. I wanted to set that stage because of this passage. I believe God cares very deeply for Lucifer. I think he, I think it breaks God's heart about the devil and everything that he's done. I believe that God and his original plan and idea, he had a plan for Lucifer and he had a role for him. And because he chose to fail, I, I firmly believe that it breaks God's heart.
I really, really do. And it's this passage that really, really helps me understand that. So here, let's see here. Um, okay, chapter 31. Um, here's another key to your just in studying the Bible. Look at verse 3. It says, Behold, the Assyrian was, in, was a cedar in Lebanon with fair branches. Anytime you see the term the Assyrian, that is in reference to the Antichrist. The Antichrist. So whenever you see that in your Bible, the Assyrian, that is in reference to the Antichrist. And so then, as you kind of work through that a little bit, it explains a little bit about the Assyrian. Thus, in verse 7, look at this. Thus, he was fair in his greatness, in the length of his branches, for his root was by great waters. The cedars in, look at this, the garden of God, which is another term for Eden, by the way, in the area of Eden, could not hide him. The fir trees were not like his bows, and the chestnut trees were not like his branches, nor any tree in the garden of God was like unto him in his beauty. This is talking about Lucifer. I have made him fair by the multitude of his branches so that all the trees of Eden that were in the garden of God envied him. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast lifted up thyself in height, this is the condemnation of Lucifer, and he has shot up his top among the thick bows, and his heart is lifted up in his height. I have therefore delivered him into the hand of the mighty one of the heathen. He shall surely deal with him. I have driven him out for his wickedness, and strangers, the terrible of the nations, have cut him off and have left him upon the mountains, and in all the valleys his branches are fallen, and his bows are broken by all the rivers of the land, and all the people of the earth are gone down from his shadow, have left him. Upon his ruin, shall all the fowls of the heaven remain and all the beasts of the field shall be upon his branches to the end that none of all the trees by the waters exalt themselves for their height, neither shoot up their top among the thick bows, neither their trees stand up in their height. All that drink water, for they are all delivered unto death and to the, and to the nether parts of the earth in the midst of the children of men with them that go down to the pit. Now look at this. Thus saith the Lord God, in the day when he went down to the grave, I caused a mourning. I covered the deep for him. And I restrained the floods thereof, and the great waters were stayed. And I caused Lebanon to mourn for him, and all the trees of the field fainted for him. I made the nations to shake at the sound of his fall, when I cast him down to hell with them that descend into the pit. And all the trees of Eden, the choice and best of Lebanon, all the drink water shall be comforted in the nether parts of the earth. They also went down to hell with him unto them that be slain with the sword, and they that were his arm that dwelt under his shadow in the midst of the heathen and there's more but right there just those three verses god said i caused a great mourning i believe all my heart that when you read in revelation 20 revelation 19 those passages where he comes back again and it talks about how that he takes uh the devil and the antichrist and the false prophet and he throws them into the lake of fire i believe that god does it with tears in his eyes i do I really, really do, because that was never the intent. That was never what he was made for. He was made to glorify God, and he chose rebellion, and now that's the result. And I think God mourns deeply for Lucifer and for all the angels that followed him, just as he would mourn for every human being that chooses to go to the lake of fire and chooses to go to hell. Because God does not want any human being to go to hell, not at all. Why would he do that? Why would God create something and then find pleasure in sending it to hell for an eternal destruction? He wouldn't, because that is not the God of the Bible. And so people that believe that, they have a very mixed up view of God. They really, really do. So 
There's passages like that that are just hidden in different places of the Bible that as you kind of read, I'm like, oh, no way. And it kind of really helped me. I'm like, oh, there it is. So, yeah, that's how I answer that one. Yeah, Megan. I have a quick question. Let me find it. I can find it. Would it be Psalm thirty six twelve? There are the workers of iniquity fallen. They are cast down and shall not be able to rise. No, that's not it. Um, let me see if I can find it. I don't think that's it. Let me see if I can find it. No, it's okay. I'm, I'm looking at the time and seeing what, how much time we have left, and so I think this would be a great last one to do. Ezekiel 33.11 says, I have no pleasure in the death of the one with you. Sounds good. Good job. Good job. Good job. Uh, 82, I believe. Psalm 82. So look at Psalm 82. Now, I've not studied this in great detail. I've only looked at it just from a very, very high level. Okay, Psalm 82. A Psalm of Asaph, verse 1. Okay, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and needy, deliver the poor and needy, rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High, but ye shall die like men and shall fall and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations." So that's the passage that um, people have gone to and they've tried to build a case of uh, when he says uh, judgeth among the gods that he's talking about the angels that are there. And, uh, and he says in verse 6, I have said ye are gods and all of you are the children of the most high, but ye shall die like men. And so that means that he removes their authority, their power, their influence, and they're going to die just like the rest of, of men in hell, frankly, you know, if you want to draw that context there. Um, but in verse 2 and verse 3, it looks like in verse 4, that he gives them space. How long will you judge unjustly and accept the person of the wicked? Defend the poor. Do justice. Deliver the poor. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. And yet they won't. So that's the passage people have used before to kind of build that case. But it's not something that's very, I can't be dogmatic about it. You know, there's certain things in the Bible that I believe that I think are going to be this way. But if I can't be, like, if I can't find two, three, or four verses that back up that thought, then it just becomes my opinion. And I can't stand firm on that. So um, do I think it's possible? Yes, absolutely. Um, It seems to make sense here, but I can't really dogmatically say that. Okay. All right. Any other quick questions off of that? That same chapter? Yeah. 31. Yep. So in verse 11, it says, Yeah. So I think right here, when you when you compare this to how it outlines it in Revelation 19 and 20, 
Um, I think the mighty one of the heathen could be um, Jesus himself. Um, because when you see, when you line up the battle, the final battle between uh, the Antichrist, um, it says that he gathers all um, the nations that are following him to fight against Christ when he comes back. And he it says that he's going to be broken without hand. And so Christ is the one that, that delivers that defeat. Um, if it's talking about the devil, um, it could be Jesus the same because even after the devil is loosed out of his prison after the thousand years of the millennial reign, it says that he goes to the four corners of the earth and he gathers another giant army to come against the city of God. And then God wipes all of them out just with bringing fire down from heaven. So I think that that's talking about Jesus. Um, but I'd have to study that more to be 100% sure. But that seems how it fits. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. All right, good deal. This is why I love the Bible. There are so many little nuggets all over the place. And if you were to, like here, it talked about Eden, Garden of God. You know, if you were to just search those phrases, you'll be able to find these little things all over the place. And this is why it's so important that when you guys are studying the Bible for yourself, if you come across something that you're reading, like in Genesis or in Matthew or in John or in Revelation, if something stands out to you, don't just let that go. Or if there's something that is like, I'm confused by that. Don't just stay confused. Search it out. If you were to take a word or a phrase in there or something like that, and you were to throw it into Blue Letter Bible on your phone and look up where God uses that same term or that same phrase throughout your Bible, you'll be shocked to be able to find some amazing things as God kind of pieces stuff together as you compare Scripture to Scripture. So, all right. Anything else? Yeah, Haley. Yes, like, to guard the tree of life. Yeah. yeah. What happened with that? Did God, like, take it away? Like, really it's a great question. Before. The only other place that you see the tree of life show up again is at the very end. Um, I believe it's probably the same tree. So, um, you know, whether that's something that it stayed there until the flood of Noah, and then with the flood, God decided to take it up, and then he's going to bring it back in the city of New Jerusalem because that's where the tree of life is going to exist in New Jerusalem in the future. Um, but I think it's the same tree. So whether he decided just to take it or there's already a tree of life up there and that was just another one because there's, there's that too because if you think about going through with Exodus and Leviticus, you know, when they built the temple and the tabernacle, it was after the pattern that already existed in heaven. So I believe that there's a temple in heaven already with an altar and the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant and all that. I think that's already in heaven. And so then he told them to create it after the pattern. So it's quite likely that there could have been a tree of life already there. And then when he created it on earth, he just made another one. But the Bible isn't clear on that. Those are the only two options I can think of. Yeah. Jack. This is, um, it's only if, if uh, you answer this question What day was the sun created on? Okay. That would be, I want to say the fourth day of creation. Genesis chapter 1. Yes, fourth day. Okay, so how did they measure days if there was no sun? Great question. Time is a concept. Sale. Yes. So God measured days because if you think about it, when he created the heaven and the earth and then um, you know everything that we talked about with the fall of Lucifer, I believe, takes place between verse one and verse two. And then you have verse two where God starts to bring in all these other things into place. 
once God separated the waters from the waters and he created the entire universe, um, I mean, think about it this way. How do we measure days today? Yes. So how long the rock of the earth takes to rotate around the sun and how the earth spins in, in as far as on its axis in the position of the sun, right? Okay. Because we know in Revelation, everything's going to be decreased from 24-hour days down to 18-hour days. And as a result, it's because the position of the earth actually moves closer to the sun, but the earth or the sun is smitten, so it's not as powerful, so that way everything doesn't burn up. So anyway, that's another discussion for another day. But it's one of those things, that's how we measure time. And so is it possible for God to create everything necessary, even the sun and all of its mass and everything, and it would still be rotating on its axis, even though the sun does not have its fuel needed to be a light in the universe? It is possible. Um, it's also possible that the earth was already spinning um, and God just put it in its place. Because it's everything Everything focuses on the earth. Like the way that God recreated everything, the focal point is always the earth. And so when you look at that, it's possible that he just did that. Or it wasn't spinning at all and he just created it and God just waited a literal 24 hours before he started again. Or it took him 24 hours to do what he wanted to do at that point in time. Yes. But how do they have evening and morning if there's no sun? How do they know that's Yep. That's a good one. I like it. See, you're thinking a little bit. This is what I like. Okay. So, verse 2. In the earth was without form and void, and what does it say? Darkness. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. So, after the judgment of Lucifer's kingdom, there was nothing but darkness. And so if God's going to step in and recreate everything, there has to be the existence of light in the midst of darkness. And by the way, 2 Corinthians, I believe it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to say, talks about this very event is a picture of the gospel. Because you and I are lost and dead in our trespasses and sins, full of darkness. And until God came in and gave us a way out, we would have no light. And so, and God said, let there be light is a perfect, perfect title for a gospel message um, at any given point in time about what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, the existence of light and darkness and God creating it, remember, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So God shows up on the scene and he says, let there be light and there was light. But then he didn't create the objects that would be that light to sustain everything until day four. I really don't have a problem with that because anytime God showed up and Jesus is there, I mean, Jesus is the one that created everything according to John chapter one and Hebrews chapter one. And so if God created everything, Okay, vegetation needs light to exist. Okay, isn't it possible that the light that came from Jesus Christ himself would be enough to sustain the vegetation on the earth? Because he is light. So there's ways to kind of, you know, work around that. But God created the concept of time. He created the whole day and night. And if you notice, day and night are capitalized because they're proper nouns, which means they stand for individuals, people. So he's not necessarily talking about literal light there as well. He's talking about a person. And so the day is Jesus. He's called the day star, and night would be Lucifer himself to define what sin is. Kent? Where is Eden now? In the Middle East. No, it's not in No, no. No, the whole, if you guys, when you guys study history, I mean, you guys learn a ton about Mesopotamia 
and the Tigris and Euphrates, that's where Eden was at. I mean, it's one of the most fertile places on the entire earth for a reason. That's where Eden existed. Um, because of the flood and everything, it changed everything up. Yeah, Noah. Okay, so everything was dark, but God's pure light and can't be dark. Right. Where was God? Where was he? Yeah. He was in the third heaven. So he's just like outside the universe. Yeah. Just yep, pretty much. Because when the Bible removes the sea of glass and all is taken away, God's light fills the entire universe. So I think when God recreates the heaven and the earth in Revelation 20, 21, 22, that you're going to have a universe that's pure white light. It's no longer going to be dark. So. All right. When God put us into orbit, he was spinning us on his finger like a Harlem Globetrotter. <laughs> that's Andy's version. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. I'm sure there was some humor involved. Maybe not as much as he gave you, but... All right. All right. That's it. We don't got any more time. So um, if you got any more questions in the meantime, feel free to ask. Maybe we could even move this to a Wednesday night type thing for a little while during the summer. Or if we uh, wanted to move on to something else, we'll do that. Okay. All right. Let us pray. Noah, why don't you pray? Amen. If you have-